And there we go. We are back again for another fantastic conversation on Friday Night Counter-Attack. And um, this is going to be part two of our part of our Afghanistan series as well. So I'm really looking forward to getting into this. It's going to be really enjoyable to learn a bit more about um, what's actually happened in Afghanistan with the women's football team as well. We had the absolutely amazing Shabnam Mubarak previously as well. So if you're still here listening from that one, we thank you very much for that because that's the topic that we're going for this week as well. And we're joined by another very special uh, footballer, very special person, I would say, as well. Someone who's been fighting um, to make Afghanistan a more wholesome place and to make sure that Afghanistan is recognised by these kind of establishments that don't give them as much appreciation as I think they deserve, in my opinion, as well. Especially from learning what Shabnam has said recently as well. So I'm going to pass this over to our very special guest for part two of this series, uh, Farkunda Murtaj. Did I pronounce your name correctly, Farkunda? Yeah, you did. Fantastic. Now, thank you very much for joining the podcast for this episode. How are you doing today? I'm um, great. Uh, doing very well, of course, um, with regards to Afghanistan. Uh, it's been extremely busy within the last year and a half or so uh, with regards to female athletes in Afghanistan, more specifically female footballers that you know, we helped evacuate. Um, I specifically was very heavily involved with the youth national team and them getting to Portugal. Uh, but of course, um, I think a lot of people, when they look at Afghan women's football and what's going on right now in Afghanistan, they think that, you know, there's no opportunities to excel. They're in a detrimental situation, which is true. It's it's heartbreaking what's going on. However, the Afghan female footballers within Afghanistan have always struggled even prior to the rise of the Taliban. There was always societal issues. There were barriers um, to pretty much get to a pitch um, and so many different political implications that never allowed them to excel. So now that the players, most of them have been evacuated out of Afghanistan, it is an opportunity for them to, um, you know, progress on the pitch academically and athletically. But uh, a lot of work needs to be done. And and that's what we're working towards. That's absolutely incredible. And it's inspiring as well to kind of listen back to um, your words straight away as well. So I'm really grateful that you've given us your time today to learn a bit more about that um, as well, which would be fantastic. Um, but to start things light off, Fakunda, we're just going to talk a bit more about your career in football. So again, we tend to learn a lot more about um, women footballers and men footballers because they all have different backgrounds and it's quite enjoyable. You don't sound like you grew up in Afghanistan. Am I correct? Or did you grow up in the United yeah. States or Canada, for example? Yeah, I grew up in Canada. Uh, I was two oh, years wow. old when I came to Canada. Um and uh, definitely love the country. It's provided me with so much support and opportunities to advance uh, my life. But I always grew up knowing that I was Afghan-Canadian, of course. I grew up with the Afghan-Canadian and Muslim culture, and I'm very grateful for all three of them. And, uh, you know, I started playing football from a very young age. Uh, thank God my family has always been extremely supportive of a big family, older siblings, younger siblings. So, my parents and my older siblings really pushed me to be the best version of myself with regards to everything I did. And so I, you know, started recreation football when I was four years old. And then I afterwards progressed into high performance and academy and rep soccer. And, you know, it kept growing to the point that, you know, I was competing in League One Ontario and I was, um, you know, playing for York University's women's soccer team, which was incredible. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my upbringing. And um, 
I always knew because I was Afghan that I had to give back to my country because people that were in the same position as I was, many females, many males as well, did not have the same access to resources, supports, opportunities. And so with my skill set, I wanted to give back to Afghanistan and similarly wanted to give back to Canada for the opportunities they blessed me with as well. That's extraordinary. So first of all, it's just the fact that you grew up in Canada and you actually had to, you still had that ownership on yourself of actually helping and representing your country as well because there's a lot of people who would then just go and then say oh no I'm just fully Canadian now I don't want to go back to my heritage I don't want to go back to my roots as well but the fact that you took ownership of that and you wanted to as you just said you you, you were blessed by the opportunities in Canada to then bless people back in Afghanistan as well with the opportunities that you saw fit and you saw um, suitable as well is fantastic to just really understand and to really appreciate from from afar I would say which is pretty good but what kind of things, like even the things that we can appreciate in the uh, United Kingdom, in Canada, in the USA, what kind of things did they were they kind of missing out in Afghanistan that you thought you could go over and help and you definitely made a difference with? Because I saw quite a few, but I wanted to kind of know your point of view. Like, what was it being, like, literally going from Canada to Afghanistan, working with the um, athletes? What kind of benefits did they kind of reap um, from yourself? Yeah, I think, well, there there's definitely huge differences between Canada and Afghanistan, but I think the most essential one is just basic liberties, having access to safety and security. And that's, you know, the most important thing. And when you go to Afghanistan, of course, there's so many risks, safety and security threats, and you, you simply just can't uh, progress a, a life free of threat. And so I think that's the most important thing, but also basic human rights, right? Afghanistan, unfortunately, has always been faced with uh, humanitarian issues, social justice issues, um, economic issues. And so it's not just the safety and security threats, but it's a whole, um, you know, the whole climate within Afghanistan, unfortunately, is just not a great place to be in. And so when you see these young ladies that or playing football, or, you know, they're being educated, they're defying all odds to just, you know, uh, achieve their dream. And, and so that it gives you that much more respect for them. They, they're so resilient, they're so passionate, and, you know, their grit is really what pushes them. And it's not just for themselves. They want to impact Afghanistan as a whole, and they want to use that skill set to benefit everyone. And so when they see people, um, for instance, like myself, who was able to get a you know solid education was able to excel in sport and able to give back to the community that's kind of what inspires them to do the same and and i hope that we can continue to build that uh, you know a strong generation of female whether it be athletes or just afghan females in general to give back to the nation and and hopefully push uh, social justice forward Absolutely, because it was once Nelson Mandela who said that if you wanted to get through to the heart of the people, um, to go through their their favorite sporting, um, their, their favorite sporting team as well. So back in South Africa, back in like the nineteen nineties, um, when there was social injustice happening in South Africa, mm-hmm. Nelson Mandela, um, actually used the help of Francois Pinar, the rugby captain, who as they were hosting the Rugby World Cup, and then they ended up winning the Rugby World Cup and it united a nation, um, which was coming out of apartheid as well. I'm surprised personally, but I think you'd you'd shed some light on this. I'm surprised personally that again there are more social justice issues in Afghanistan than in South Africa in 1995, respectively. But it would be such a, a fantastic feeling for me to see, and for I'm pretty sure the people of Afghanistan to see that the Afghanistani women footballers and the athletes that they've got and the people actually trying to 
make a change are just genuine heroes because they're actually trying to, like you said, impact their ancestors and what their ancestors have gone through and their future generations for years to come as well because they want to have a better chance of life. They want to have a better education. They want to have a better quality of life and they don't want it just for themselves. That's what I've learned recently from all the research, the fact that it's such a selfless act that a lot of people are doing and people unfortunately aren't seeing it for what it actually is. Would you agree with that, uh, Fakunda? Definitely. I mean, when you look at Afghanistan, it's just it's impacted so many generations and our our parents and our grandparents have seen the impacts of displacement of, uh, you know, war and justice in Afghanistan. And, you know, we really thought that we were progressing in the right direction and no one had imagined that the trauma that our parents and prior generations had gone through was going to be relived by this generation. And I, I strongly believe, yes, we can be pitiful and heartbroken of the situation. Of course, it's devastating, but how are we gonna act in order to build solutions? And the solutions are really within us Afghan people. How are we gonna unite? And it goes back to what you said about Nelson Mandela and when they were fighting apartheid in South Africa as well. And it's, you know, sport in general is just such a unifying language. It doesn't take, uh, you know, when you're on the pitch, you forget about your race, class, gender, et cetera, religion. It's just something that really um, empowers everyone. And I hope that through sport, we can, through like through leadership, through teamwork and through just the unifying effect of sport, transcend this toward the whole Afghan culture and allow them to understand that, you know, what we are trying to achieve is beyond just ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Because you can see it going really well for the Afghanistani cricket team, the men's cricket team, who are currently in the T20 Cricket World Cup. And they're having a fantastic time out in Australia, which is great to see. They've been, um, I've been to a few Afghanistani cricket games as well, which is which I've had the luxury of going to. And the best thing about learning from the fans as well is the fact that they will protest their, not just their innocence, but their, just their humility, really, the fact that not every Afghanistani person wants war, not every Afghanistani person thinks like this as well. There are a lot of people who have left Afghanistan, like yourself, but a lot of these people I met in like stadiums who are just like, yeah, it's a it's an old regime that should have toppled years ago, but it hasn't. Um, but we just want everything to be happy, we want our families to be safe, we want to have the country to be, um, what's the term, liberated in, and enjoying the new modern age of, of, of Afghanistan as well. But Unfortunately, it hasn't happened as of yet, which is unfortunate, but it's the fact that uh, having done my own kind of research on this, it's been quite refreshing, really, because it's one of those things that as a normal citizen in the United Kingdom, you only see like a certain picture being painted unless you do your own research, unless you have these conversations with yourself, with these conversations with Shabnam, um, with the cricket fans who I met um, at cricket games a couple of years ago as well. It's just the fact that you want to learn a bit more about it. And as a Muslim man myself as well, you see it in like Pakistan, you see it in India, you see it in different places as well, which is unfortunate. So you've seen what's happening in Iran. But with Afghanistan as well, it's just the fact that when when you're seeing so many people showing up with love and humility to different places, like you're seeing Rashid Khan, who's like a beaming light in the Afghanistan cricket women's team. You're seeing yourself, for example, as well. You're seeing Shabnam for doing everything that she's doing. Uh, Khalida Popal as well. Fantastic work that you've all been doing. Do you feel a sense of pressure with everything that you're kind of doing to kind of represent Afghanistan in a certain way um, to the world, um, Farkunda? 
Well, yeah, I, I definitely want to be a, a positive ambassador for my country. And the thing that hurts me the most is as a practicing Muslim, you see certain nations using Islam in, to justify their actions, which is not the case. And, and Western media and the West just sees this as, you know, Muslims are scary. Um, you, they're not progressive. They don't know how to live a a good lifestyle, but it's, it's very not true. And, you know, it's just our fundamental teachings, which are so incredible, our ethics and our morals and our values. And what's happening in Afghanistan is actually against all of that, but it's tough to see when you, you know, they use this to justify actions. And so what I can do simply is just be a positive role model, a positive ambassador for Afghanistan and show them through my character that what Afghanistan is capable is what Afghan women you know, truly are and what our religion and our culture genuinely teaches. And so, yes, there is a sense of pressure. And of course, you know, um, uh, captaining the Afghanistan women's national team as well it gives you that additional pressure because we have not been active uh, for a while now. It's, of course, the impacts of COVID-19, the humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan, the Taliban taking over. But I'm, you know, genuinely trying very hard in order for this to happen in a diplomatic way, because of course there's a lot of barriers that we're facing at the moment. Absolutely. No, I can understand. And obviously there's a lot of pressure on a lot of people's shoulders to make it even just 1% better than previous years as well. So it's just about understanding how you can do that uh, going forward. Um, but the last topic that we're going to be talking about, or the last question I'll say we'll talk about before we move on to a more lighthearted conversation, which would be good is if you could give, any message to our listeners out there? So we've got listeners in various countries around the world, which we were very grateful for. And you wanted to say one thing to them about how you think Afghanistan will progress with the um, the way that they see uh, the women's football team, with the way that they're going to hopefully Im uh, improve them, their country as well. What would be the one message you could give to our listeners and to our followers as well? Uh, I want the listeners to understand that Afghan females are capable and Afghan people in general are capable given the opportunities and resources and supports. And now with these Afghans being relocated to other nations, it's an opportunity for you to support them and help them ease their settlement journey and allow them to use their skill set to impact society because they are hungry. They want to, you know, they're very motivated to give back and they do want to be positive role models and use their platform to impact. It's just a matter of supporting them throughout that. So I hope people understand that, you know, now that Afghans are in a safe space, that doesn't mean that, you know, mentally they're in the right space or that, you know, they can actually show what they're capable of. So do support them and don't end the dialogue just because, you know, Afghanistan isn't on the forefront of the world's agenda right now because of the unfortunate situations in Ukraine. It does not mean Afghanistan is doing any better. So please remember Afghanistan and actively do something to change. That was beautiful. Thank you very much for explaining that all in detail, Prakunda. Now we're going to move on to a lighter topic and we're going to mostly just be discussing your footballing career, which I'm really looking forward to. So you gave us a really good overview at the beginning of the podcast and I just wanted you to kind of break it down um, into different segments, really. So how you really got into football, how you got into football or soccer. As Do you call it football or soccer? Because I call it... I call it football when I'm in Canada. I call it soccer. So oh. in Farsi, it's football. Perfect. And in Perfect. Europe. So it is a European sport. 
It is indeed, which is fantastic. And obviously, we want to learn about how you're doing um, playing uh, women's football in the Netherlands now as well. So we'll start from the beginning, how you really got involved in it, who your football heroes were growing up, who you would play with. And then we'll just move on from there, if that's okay. So first footballing hero, um, first footballing memory. And what's your favourite footballing memory from childhood, Farquhar? Yeah, oh goodness, I have so many amazing memories. Thank God I've been blessed with. But uh, growing up, like I mentioned, my dad was uh, a football fanatic. Um, so it was embedded in my family. I'm the third of seven siblings. So yeah. my older sister played, my older brother played, I played, and all my younger siblings as well. And we're very close in age. So it's kind of like we were all doing it together at the same time. But we started off recreational, and my dad noticed that we were all like in amazing at like four or five years old so immediately he started taking it more seriously with us and um you know enrolling us into academies rep football programs clinics and everything for us to brush up our technical ability and kind of progress this into something long term and so we were very doing very well and it came to the point where you know i was now uh, traveling globally for football competitions i actually traveled to england as well a couple times oh, wow invited by Liverpool to train oh, with no. yeah when I was young yeah so yeah. it was great like lots of opportunities lots of uh, youth competitions and um I was recruited I was part of the provincial pathway of the Canadian program when I was younger so that was great um unfortunately long story short when my friends left I decided to leave as well and being an immigrant family I didn't know that it led to the Canadian national team nonetheless um you know I'm happy with my journey with Afghanistan and I started playing League One Ontario which is the highest division of um uh Canadian football which was great from a young age and then after what, what year did you begin um doing this like playing League One football yeah, League One football was in uh, the inaugural year was 2015. So okay. that's when I started. Yeah, the, the brand new semi-professional league that will be fully professionalized, hopefully in the future. But that's what I started. I, I believe I was 17, 16 years old. Um, and then afterwards, I got recruited for York, York University, which is a top academic and athletic school. And universities are the, the way they function is very different from Europe yep. in the States and in Canada. It's, you know, very much a big deal to be a student athlete. You dedicate all your life pretty much towards it. And so while I was playing there, I started in 2015. And at the end of 2015, um, my parents were approached by called by people from the Afghan Football Federation saying that, you know, in May of 2016, we're going to have an identification camp in California. And we heard your your daughter is very good. We would love for her to be there. And, and, and you know, people from the Federation will come and analyze and, and, and select players. And so originally I was kind of hesitant because I was like, you know, of course I want to give back to Afghanistan, but like, what are the investments like? Are they going to take it seriously? What is the playing style like? I, I had no clue because, again, Afghan women's football is just not highly commercialized at all. Um, and so I went into the camp. Um, they were supposed to let us know a couple of weeks, uh, a couple months later who had been selected. But that day, that tournament, rather, 
I was given like an Afghanistan Olympic medal and an Afghanistan like football scarf and everything and announced in front of everyone by the now president of the football federation that I had been selected ahead of time and they were very excited. So that was great. But as I initially it was, it was about football and giving back to Afghanistan. But as I started being part of the national team and, you know, walking into that first training camp and understanding the complexity of Afghanistan, it was more than just football. Of course, it was about giving back to the nation, changing societal norms and empowering women in general. So that was great. And of course, Playing for the Afghanistan women's national team, I think, is one of the most uh, difficult rides and journeys of my life. Uh, a lot of emotional roller coasters, um, you know, is very it's very difficult to this day. Um, a lot of wrong perceptions. Um, uh, yeah, being criticized uh, heavily, a uh, lot of politics involved. And nonetheless, I, you know, continued to play throughout that because it was always for the people of Afghanistan. And I I didn't care what people thought, because at the end of the day, I knew what my intentions were and why I was playing and who I was doing it for. And in 2018, uh, at the CAFA championships, ahead of that championship, that's when I became the captain of the national team. So I felt even before that, you know, I was a leader on and off the pitch. But after that, it was more like concrete that what are you going to do to change women's football? And that's when, you know, you become smarter and you you analyze the issues. And um, at this point as well, I was doing a lot of uh, coaching courses with Canada soccer and stuff. So I started to analyze like this the development framework and how sustainable the program is and had started to have genuine conversations with the football federation about all the issues that were uh, prevalent in Afghanistan. And so we were making progress behind the scenes and I'm a very much behind the scenes person. I, I don't like to outwardly share everything that I do, but unfortunately COVID came in the way humanitarian issues and so many other difficulties because we were supposed to be competing at the Asian qualifiers in 2021. And that's what I was preparing for um, it over the summer of 2021. But all, all of a sudden our conversations went from preparing for the, for the qualifications to, Hey, can you help the Afghan national team evacuate Afghanistan? And of course, without hesitation, um, I was definitely going to support. And thankfully we were able to evacuate a lot of, players and their family members what was that like because again you've gone through so much detail and one breath it sounds like so thank you very much for going into such detail there as well it's fantastic but what was that like from going from being just a footballer being a student to being I said it to Shablam as well but I'm going to say to you to a a national hero basically for doing everything that you kind of did to help people evacuate Afghanistan so how did that feel for you mentally and how did that deal with how did you have to deal with that for yourself for your family your own uh, mental health as well. How did you kind of deal with that all, uh, Fakunda? Yeah, it, it was kind of crazy because, of course, over the summer of 2021, all all Afghans were very worried about the situation in Afghanistan. And similarly, I was as well when I was having these conversations with the Football Federation about our qualification and ensuring we had a camp to be prepared for the qualification. You know, no one in Afghanistan thought that the Taliban would take over so soon or that it would be a reality. And so when kind of the conversation sh- shifted immediately, um, obviously it was a shock to me. Like, can you, we need you to help evacuate. We need you to do something. Please support us. And of course, uh, I'm, I'm not going to leave my country 
men behind during difficult situations. And I didn't know what exactly to do and how to do it. Um, but I started calling humanitarian organizations and humanitarian lawyers and my family and trying to understand what I can do essentially. And at the same time, the football federation had added me into all the WhatsApp chats from the players within Afghanistan. So I was in the U15, U17, U19 senior team chat from within Afghanistan on WhatsApp. And of course it's a chaotic situation. So all you have is a bunch of people just messaging you, sending all their documents, calling you, sending um, voice memos and also their family members. And then they're sharing my number with their friends and, by this point, by the by the first day, I my phone was bombarded and it was for so it was it was very difficult at the beginning, but through the help of an amazing, incredible mentor of mine, Kat Khosroyar, who is a former Iranian national team head coach, she was able to connect me with US government officials and immediately her and I and Wido Zimarai, who is a former goalkeeper and currently, you know, helps scout and things like that for the Federation. She, you know, all three of us, very woman-led project to help evacuate all these players, which we, of course, given the political climate and the landscape of Afghanistan, we failed miserably many times. Uh, but we're very persistent. And, you know, at the end of two months, we were able to get two evacuations to Portugal um, and helped over 300 Afghans evacuate with their families. That's incredible. That's outstanding to hear. And the fact that it took you a process of two months long to do it is, is insane because it's just like you just had to get the people out of the country. You had so many people at least a minimum of what 50 different people and then their families going forward as well. I I don't I don't know how to kind of react to that, but just it's just yeah, I can't say anything because I don't want to say anything silly. But honestly, did you did you feel like the most amazing sense of pride and and relief more than anything that everyone kind of left and their family got to leave as well and there's they were safe in Portugal, Bacondo. Yes and no. So I, throughout this whole period, um, you know, it, it was very mentally and emotionally draining for myself and everyone involved, of course. But um, I was really sad. I was sad that Afghanistan came to this point where everyone is just frantically trying to evacuate. Everyone is fearful for their lives. Basic human rights are stripped away from you. Female athletes can't participate in sports. So I was very sad because had this not happened, none of the girls had dreamed to leave Afghanistan. That was their future. They wanted to rebuild Afghanistan. So I was very sad. Of course, I was happy that after, you know, uh, nightmarish situations, we were finally able to evacuate them. But then, uh, you know, a part of me was like, there's so many other people that deserve to leave. There's so many other people, athletes, female athletes of behind that have been manipulated or tricked into being evacuated, but didn't. And so, there are still so many individuals that need safety and, you know, I'm just trying my utmost best to continue to support. Absolutely. And hopefully, inshallah, everything goes well to actually support them going forward and helping them um, just staying safe. Because at the end of the day, you can talk about football all you want, but I think the theme that you've had as well is just making sure that everyone that you're responsible for and who you feel responsible for are just safe and they're, and they're, they're healthy and they, they're not being intimidated by like people that we don't really want to talk about anymore because we've spoken about them a lot um which is unfortunate but thank you very much for going through in such detail for the 
topics of conversation that we've had so far as well. Now we're going to be talking about, or well, for the rest of the podcast, it's just going to be fun. It's going to be talking about football and we're going to be talking about, or soccer, I should say. Um, and we're going to be talking about a bit more about you. And um, yeah, so first things first, we were 35 minutes into this podcast. And I'm pretty sure our listeners, if they don't know, they don't know what position you play for football. They don't know who you play like in football. And they don't know your best moment in football so far. So if I ask you the first question one by one, what position do you play um, on the pitch? Yeah, I'm a center attacking midfielder typically, so I play the 10 role. Um, I also can play eight and six very well. So that is the central midfield role is definitely something I really enjoy. Uh, my favorite players growing up, um, I would have to say for female footballers, Louisa Nasib, incredible, absolutely incredible. I used to follow her, you know, throughout her career, especially at the World Cups, was a France fan because of her. Um, I think she's such a smart footballer and she really reminds me of Zinedine Zidane with her playing style, so composed and calm on the ball. So she's definitely a huge one with men's football. Of course, there's so many uh, incredible footballers that I've really loved, but with my specific position, I would always look up to Andres Iniesta because I just think he's just a smart footballer, very composed and has all the qualities for to express his intelligence in a creative way. So uh, definitely two incredible midfielders I looked up to. Good choices. And what's your favorite moment in football so far on the pitch? Oh, favorite moment in football on the pitch. Uh, I have a ton, but I would definitely say on the Afghan women's national team, one of my favorite moments was uh, scoring on my unofficial debut and my official debut. So both of them I scored on, which I was very happy to do. And um, outside of Afghanistan women's national team, my favorite moment was winning the OUA championships with York University. It was a historic moment and it's an unforgettable moment for sure. Fantastic. And now we're going to be talking mostly about your trip to Qatar because it was quite cool to see you in Qatar. Yeah, I, I really did enjoy my trip to Qatar. Um, of course, it was a phenomenal experience. I was very I was there for a very short period of time. Uh, for a conference that I was speaking at. Uh, other than that, uh, of course, um, I think there is always going to be a huge spotlight on Qatar or any Middle Eastern nation or Muslim nation that does host a World Cup. Um, to be quite frank, I think uh, Muslim nations are always uh, challenged much further than any other nation. To, to Media scrutinizes quite a lot as well, which is crazy. Um, yeah. Really, really annoying as well because it's like... Um, Gary Neville from England, from Sky Sports, he went over and did like a report on the update of Qatar before the World Cup draw back in the summer. And then uh, I think every other question he asked was, oh, but you still can't drink. Oh, but you still can't do this. You can't do that, which is what football fans are used to. But for me, being like a Muslim fan in the UK, I've just been like, oh, yeah, it doesn't bother me. It wouldn't bother the locals there who are going to watch the games. But for a lot of people, it would bother them as well. But for me, for, for once, I'm in the minority of it being oh yes absolutely fine it doesn't matter if you can't do this if you can't do that um but what kind of um 
things did you kind of see that you were really impressed with with Qatar? Yeah, I was really impressed with the infrastructure for sure. The stadiums were absolutely incredible. The museums, the the way they showcase the World Cup, uh, the way they want to showcase the Qatari culture, and how much um, advancement is happening with regards to women's football as well, with regards to you know every sport in general, their academics, athletics. Uh, it was very impressive to see how much they're actually investing and how much they genuinely care. So that that was great, of course. And of course, I, I was able to meet the Afghan students of the American University as well. So just hearing their individual stories of courage and confidence and again, wanting to give back to Afghanistan and how worried but optimistic they are for the future of Afghans is just phenomenal to see. Absolutely. If there's only one way to kind of be, you have to be optimistic because you never know what could happen and there's no point um, overthinking of what could happen or what could be, uh, be, be becoming worse as well, which we don't want to hear about. We want to see what could be coming better, which is the main thing. So, from your um, stay in Qatar, you were there. You were there for a conference. What exactly was the conference that you were there for, uh, for Kunda? And by the way, I'm really glad you suggested to record in mid October as well. By the way, because before I wouldn't have been able to ask you all these questions whilst <laughs> um, Qatar as well. So. Well planned out, I would say. Um, but no, what was the um, conference about and what stadiums did you visit? Because I heard you say that recently. And I'm like, okay, so we're going to hear about these stadiums later, yeah. where they're going to be hosting different um, events as well. Um, but what was the kind of conference like and what were the stadiums like as well? Yeah, so it was, uh, so I was uh, there for the panel discussion on the growth of women's football and, of course, Qatar's involvement in um uh, Qatar's Hevel, uh, sorry, Qatar's involvement in women's sport and how the whole region can benefit from this. And so that was what the conference was about. Uh, I think it was a great discussion with so many experts from the Middle East that really want to progress women's sport. So, uh, of course, a lot of good collaborations and ways that we can all um, move forward um, in a sustainable way, which was great. I did a visit. I was by the Khalifa Stadium, which was great, absolutely incredible, and also the 321 Museum, which is next to it. Yeah, so it was definitely incredible to see uh, the footballing exhibits and, and the museum and everything they had to showcase, but yeah, I, I very much enjoyed my, my stay for sure. Fantastic. And what can you tell us that we may not know about the Qatari Stadium? So what was different about them than what you've seen in different parts of the world? So you've been to Spain, you've been to the uh, you've been to the Netherlands. You live in the Netherlands, which we'll get onto in a bit, and you've been to North America as well. Um, but what's the main kind of difference that you've seen in the Qatari stadiums that we can get excited about? Oh goodness me! Um, I don't think there's necessarily anything hugely different. It's just very innovative the way they created it, different styles, the the use of the mosaics, and the architectural prowess was incredible. Um, and of course, the fact that they're going to have a seed stadiums in during the World Cup, like I didn't even know that could possibly exist. So absolutely phenomenal. Fantastic. I mean, everyone who's going there as well from different parts of the world, if they're going there. They're definitely going to be called in these stadiums as well, which will be which will be quite good. Are you going to yeah. go to the World Cup? Bakunda? Uh, I will keep that a secret. <laughs> Ooh. It'll be, it'll be one of those where I think we're just watching and we're just on social media. I'm like, oh, I'm in Qatar for the final. That days. That's so cool. After video call you when you're there before, which would be good. But if you are there, enjoy it. If you're not, then that's absolutely fine. But normally when someone says it's a secret, they normally go. So it's, it's one of those things um, that I'm looking forward to. Um, but yeah, just to round off the podcast, this is normally where we get to have a bit of fun and a bit of 
uh, creativity as well, which is quite enjoyable um, for the both of us as well. So we're a podcast where we like to talk about like the favorite memories of like certain moments and stuff. And because this is a World Cup type of themed podcast that we've got at the end of it, I wanted to kind of know your favorite World Cup moment. So it could be from the Women's World Cup, from the Men's World Cup, um, your favorite goal that you've seen from the World Cup. And just honestly, like your favorite kind of your favorite kind of moments as well, which would be pretty good. So we'll start with your favorite moment from the men's World Cup, Farakunda. If you can remember it with watching your, with your family, if you're remembering it for a goal or for a moment, um, what would it be and why? And the best thing about this is it's just instinctive. So it's the yeah. fact that it gave you any time to prepare. So it will definitely be a favorite because it's the first thing that you think of as well. 2010, ten, ah, 2010 final, Andres Iniesta scoring. That's definitely my favorite memory. Of course, he's a star and I was supportive of Spain so and continue to support Spain as well. Um, so that's definitely my favorite memory. Are you looking forward to watching Spain in this World Cup as well? Because they got to the semifinals of the Euros. We've got a whole new team as well with Luis Enrique as manager. Are you yeah. looking forward to seeing what they can bring um, to Qatar this time around? Yeah, 100%. I think I've been supporting Spain for a very long time, especially when I was young. And, you know, the the incredible midfielders of Xavi, Iniesta and Busquets, that's who I grew up watching. So very supportive. But I must say, uh, I, I definitely want Messi to win a World Cup. So oh, that's just contradictory. You're basically a Barcelona me. fan now, gone from India uh, yeah. to Xavi, yeah. Busquets and the Messi as well. Which, yeah. will, which will be fun. Um, but no, um, seeing as we're on this topic as well, how cool was it to go to Barcelona and to get a shirt presented with your name on it? Can you just tell myself and our listeners a bit about that? Because that was extraordinary from what I saw as well, which was which was incredible. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, have a good relationship with uh, Barcelona. And when they found out that I was, you know, involved in evacuating players and heavily involved and played an instrumental role, there were you know, absolutely mesmerized. And so they invited me to watch again. I was so lucky to watch Xavi's first La Liga match and first wow. Champions League match as as a manager. And I always prayed for Xavi to come back and be the manager at um, Barca. So, like, it's crazy how the world works. Like, you know, you're in Canada before and you're thinking of like, you know, I would love to go to the Camp Nou and watch Xavi as a manager, but you wouldn't think that, you know, you would be there in the box office with, uh, you know, La Porta and so many legends that were obviously at that match because of Xavi's first match. So I met so many incredible legendary footballers and yeah, what an experience. And I also was um, invited there to speak to the students of La Masia. I spoke to them on global uh, active citizenship and what it means to be a footballer beyond the sport and how we can give back. And all of a sudden, all of them were so inspired. Like, what can we do to help Afghans? Like, tell us what we can do. We want to be involved. And they all, you know, kept in touch, which I thought was great. I mean, I'm still shocked that you said, this. Is, these are the words you said. You said, Oh, I've always had a good relationship with Barcelona. Like, who, who who can say that and then just say it so casually as well? That's incredible. I mean, I shouldn't say always. I wasn't like a kid having a good relationship, but definitely within, again, it goes back to what I do behind the scenes that I don't Yeah, know. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But the last couple of years, uh, yeah, not like my whole life, but the last couple of years, of course, I was planning something for the national team. Uh, with their support so uh, COVID didn't allow it to happen but hopefully in the future soon inshallah soon it, it could be inshallah, a yeah. it could be a good little post-world cup trip that you could go with, with <laughs> yeah it would be very good as well um 
But yeah, speaking of Messi as well, uh, obviously you want Lionel Messi to win. How are you looking forward to watching, literally, it could be Lionel Messi's last World Cup because of his age, because of the way that the World Cup goes every four years as well. Um, yeah. What's your favourite Lionel Messi moment in the World Cup? And what are you um, looking forward to watching from this Argentina side as well? Uh, favorite memory of Messi at the World Cup, definitely when he scored that incredible goal against uh, Nigeria last World Cup. Okay. I remember it was like a long ball. He, I want to say, chested it, took it down with his thigh, and it was a banger right away. It was with his, I think he controlled it with his foot, and then he dropped it down to his yeah. right foot, and then he just finished with his right foot straight away. Yeah, something incredible, spectacular. And I remember my whole family, very football-oriented. That's what brings us together. We were all wearing messy jerseys. We were all going oh, no. crazy. And yeah, that was phenomenal, phenomenal, of course. Oh, no, I've, I've been trying to get a messy jersey. I have a funny story as well. Um, I was in Berlin recently, which is which is quite enjoyable. It was quite fun. Went to the Adidas store. For anyone listening, they've heard this story like two, three times, but it's very funny for me to say. I was in the Germany the head of Adidas in Berlin, Germany. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing all these new World Cup shirts. You're seeing the Germany one, you're seeing the Mexico one, you're seeing the Argentina one, and you're seeing the Sweden one, but Sweden aren't in the World Cup um, this time around. And the the, the best-selling shirt was literally just Messi 10, Messi 10. <laughs> and I'm looking at it thinking, should I get one? And then I'm trying to get one. Um, two weeks later, they're all just sold out. So I'm like, oh, my days. And I've never had a Messi shirt. So I thought, you know what, for his last World Cup, if I get one, um, I'll get a messy one. I bought a Germany shirt. I thought it'd be quite enjoyable, um, which is pretty good. Um, my favourite, you know, Messi moment, I think it's the goal against Bosnia. He scored that in the 2014 World Cup. It's like last minute of the game, going through a couple of defenders and it's in Rio de Janeiro as well, in the home of Brazil, is the op um, the opposition for Argentina and Brazil. Great rivals. I thought yeah. it was fantastic because it was the first group game um, for the 2014 World Cup and it was so close to winning it that tournament as well. Um, I know, that was heartbreaking. Definitely. Let's I'm not. An, I'm, an, I'm an England fan here, Farakunda, so I'm used to heartbreak. So nothing can break <laughs> me neutrally as well. So it's perfectly yeah. fine for me. We lost to uh, what Italy and Uruguay in that tournament as well, which wasn't very good. And obviously, the question I wanted to ask as well, and I'll, I'll, I'll involve myself in this as well. Where do you see yourself um, kind of enjoying the World Cup? Because you mentioned before as well that World Cup is kind of a family event and that's what how we see it in our family as well. Every kind of four years, even if we're living away or working away, we'll try and make um, time to watch the games together. And if it's not England, it will be one of the bigger games, which will be quite enjoyable, which will be quite fun. What's your favourite World Cup memory with your family, um, Farakunda? Ooh, I think every World Cup is definitely special. I spend it with my family. We're football fanatics, enjoy every match. And yeah, uh, I, I couldn't pick out a single memory. Are they going to be coming over to the Netherlands or are you going to go back to Canada? Oh. Or are they going to join you in Qatar? That's the third too, option. Well. Too many questions here. It's okay. You can ask, ask me questions if you want to as well. Yeah. Um, but no, um, that would be that would be quite fun to see how it goes. But where, yeah. where would they go? Would they be meeting you in option A, B or C? Oh, I don't know yet. Uh, my family is very spontaneous, so That's we don't know yet. I still think you're going to Qatar. I think you're going to be there and you're going to be like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm watching Lionel Messi play. I'm like, oh my days. I knew it. I knew it would be quite good. Um, but no, for me personally, I'm looking forward to seeing um, mostly a lot of these players that we actually grew up with because we're of similar age here for Akunda as well. So um, to kind of divert the topic away before we wrap up the podcast is you're looking at some of these players like Luka Modric, looking at someone like Ronaldo, Messi, uh, Pepe even as well. You're looking at someone like Karen Benzema, 
these are players that we grew up with through our generation. And it's going to be the end of an era for a lot of these players as well. Personally, it's going to be quite, quite enjoyable because you get to appreciate it one last time, which is quite nice. And we've seen players over the last three years retire, even the likes of like Frank Ribery um, retired what, this week or last week, I think it was as well. It goes to show that our generation of football is kind of not dying, but coming to an end. Um, how are you feeling about that from a personal point of view? Yeah, well, it's it's definitely um, it's sad to see such incredible talents, um, you know, transitioning out of their careers. But what phenomenal careers they had. You just have to look back at it and applaud every moment. And I think it's really difficult for players to be at the world stage for so long and consistently perform. You know, you, you almost think they're machines and uh, I'm just mesmerized by, by their careers and I'm so proud of what they were able to achieve. But also you have uh, the young generation coming in specifically. I'm, I'm really excited to watch Pedri and Gavi, that duo uh, in Spain. So I think it's going to be exciting for for the older players transitioning out, but also getting familiar with new talents as well. Absolutely. I had the luxury of watching Spain versus Italy at the Euros in England. So that was really fun as well. And Pedri's a fantastic young player as well. He can only improve um, from what's gone on as well. And Gavi recently winning the um the trophy as well, the young golden ball mm-hmm. thing as well. I thought he I thought Jude Bellingham deserved it personally. I thought Jude Bellingham was a was a fantastic player this season as well. So I think that's our first little um thing as well. Because Jude Bellingham is a fantastic young player. He's done so much so young as well. And I think it's credit to himself as a player and with Gavi as well as well. As Gav as for Gavi as well, he's been a fantastic young player to kind of enjoy and to appreciate as well. And we'll get to enjoy them this week as well in the Champions League, which will be quite enjoyable. And the fact that football now is so accessible and different platforms are so amazing to see different players from around the world, which is quite enjoyable as well. I couldn't have- Right. We're coming to the end of the podcast and I wanted to say thank you very much for your time today. It's been an absolute joy and a pleasure to speak to you. Um, now, I just want to know what your plans are for this season because obviously you're playing in the Netherlands. Um, can you just tell our listeners where you're playing um, at the moment and literally what your plan is for the rest of the season? Yeah, of course. Uh, I am playing uh, in the Dutch Eredivisie, so in the Netherlands, of course, for Fortuna Sittard. Incredible club, incredible team. We're doing ex- extremely well uh, with top clubs like Ajax, um, Twente, PSV. Um, unfortunately, I came in um, to training camp uh, a week before during off-season. I pulled my hips, not my hamstring, sorry, my hip flexor muscle and my groin. Oh, no. So, yeah, I've been very challenged with an injury. I haven't even been able to train with the team yet. Trained, I was able to train one day. Uh, unfortunately, my injury wasn't ready. So the last two, three months have really been physio all day, um, treatment, um, exercises, and trying to get back into being able to run again. So that's where I'm at. And mentally as well, um, how do you kind of combat, obviously, not being able to play, not being able to be with your teammates, not being able to train? What's one kind of tip or advice, that one piece of advice you would give to our listeners if they're injured, if they're not able to perform or train or even go to the gym for example as well what's one piece of advice that's worked for you personally well uh first I want to empathize with them I know it's emotionally draining and it definitely has drained a lot out of me and my patience and my tolerance of course but I think the the Islamic approach in me is always everything happens for a reason and I think I've gotten gone through 
some horrific things in my life. Um, not for my family, of course. I absolutely love them. Uh, but other things that have really challenged me and placed me in very uncomfortable moments. But then I saw the benefits of it years down the road. So I, I do think everything happens for a reason. I don't know what the reason is, but hopefully you'll get through this. You are not your injury. You will progress. It's just a matter of time of getting healthy. And then hopefully you'll transition into being that sharp player you are. That was just beautiful. I mean, it's beautiful. Like literally my co-host who couldn't be on today as well, he's injured. Like he had a shoulder injury. So he like fell differently when he's playing football as well. So he's still in recovery as well, which is quite sad to see, but he's recovering naturally, which is the best thing. He hasn't, he, he didn't need surgery or anything as well. So okay. as well, which is pretty good. Um, but yeah, we've come up to the end of the podcast for Akunda. Um, I just wanted to say you are like, I don't want to be cliche, but you you are literally like a role model for so many people out there, for people to listen to, for people to learn to as well. Um, the work that you've been doing with the Afghanistani women's team as well is unbelievable as well. It's been fantastic to learn from you, to listen to you and to get to know you as well. It's been quite enjoyable in this kind of way as well, um, which is quite good. When you're in the UK next, if you are going to be in the UK, United Kingdom next, let me know because we need to test each other's footballing skills as well. It'd be quite good <laughs> To play against you or play with you in midfield as well yeah yeah for sure how happy to go one-on-one yeah I, i've been doing it recently with uh with another women's footballer as well and for some things i'm very good at for some things i'm awful at so it's, it's quite a good <laughs> test of character as well um which is quite enjoyable and hopefully we'll get the videos out soon which would be very good um but yeah, I just want to say thank you for answering all my questions. It's been an absolute joy. Where can people find um, you and, f- and learn more about your journey and more about the Afghanistani women's team journey? What's the best place for people who are listening to this podcast to learn a bit more about it? Uh, I think check out my social media profiles, my Instagram, my Twitter, my LinkedIn, for sure. Um, and just Google. But unfortunately, everything on Google is not correct. So <laughs> I would say probably my my Instagram is your best bet. Fantastic. And one last question from me as well. I know I've bombarded you with so many questions and you've answered them perfectly, which is great. Who's going to win the World Cup for you? Uh, I know you want Messi to win, but who's going to win the World Cup for you? I really want Messi to win. Oh, so Argentina. Argentina it is. No, that's fantastic. But uh, everyone, thank you very much for listening. It's been an absolute pleasure and an absolute fantastic conversation with Farquhar Mutaj today. Um, I still feel like I'm butchering your name. I still feel like I'm saying your name wrong, but um, it's perfectly fine. It is, it is fine how I'm saying your name, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's perfectly fine. Perfect. That's absolutely fine. But no, everyone, thank you very much for listening. Do find us on our social medias and do listen to our brand new podcast that we've got coming up for the World Cup, which is fantastic. Take care and goodbye. <laughs>